So I'm here with uh, Chris Lukalp. Uh Chris, how are you, man? I think I'm good. The day is already half of it is gone, so I can say yes. It, it's a good, it was a good day. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Chris is in uh, Germany, so we do have a little bit of a time difference. It's the morning for me and the evening for you there. But thanks so much, so much for taking the time today, man. Thanks for having me. It's always a sure. pleasure to talk to you. I yeah, so, really mean it because I know that similar thinking. That's right. Thank you so much, man. And I, I very much feel the same way about you, brother. And uh, again, it's a real honor to have you here. So uh, maybe for those that, you know, don't know your story, and I'm not even sure I know your full, your full history of like how you came to be uh, the Shrimp King and uh, just establishing your place in the hobby and in the industry. Uh, how about a little background on how you became to be involved with aquariums? Well, it, it started like probably with everybody else, just in a similar way when I was a kid, like five years old, and I got my first aquarium, and I got really hooked with, with uh, just watching fish. I could watch fish for hours. It calmed me down. It made me dream. It uh, brought me to places, you know, and um, this is long, long time ago, and then I um, became an artist. I became a musician. I was a professional musician for many years. I toured the planet. And not even in that time, I gave up aquatics. So my tour manager asked me, Chris, where do you want to tour? And I said, well, I want to tour in South America. I want to tour in Australia, Mexico, and so on. And I always went with some fans because the fans knew that I am in aquatics. So always uh, at the shows, I, I could find some people that put a banner up and they put a fish on there, and then I could spot them in the crowd and said, okay, you guys, after the show, backstage. And then I jumped into the car after the show immediately, and we went out to do aquatic stuff. And this is pretty amazing, you know, when you are in Mexico, somewhere in Monterrey or Guadalajara or wherever, and then you just change, you switch the, the two worlds, and you come from the stage and you go to, to nature and just enjoy you are with people that have the same interests and and that's that was pretty nice and uh of course the touring helped me a lot to go to place like argentina or brazil or australia to to look at habitats and that was pretty amazing so wow. i can say that it started very early with me and so the chance to travel i guess like you say was a big part of you know being able to go where so many of the yeah, I could, fishes were actually occurring I could, in the wild. I could connect the two, to the two jobs, you know, like, not job. I would not even call it the job. It's a passion, you know. All I do, right. all I ever did in my life had to do with passion. Um, so that that was a, a pretty a good thing that I could travel the planet and do the two things that I really liked. And uh, it helped me a lot. I, I've been to 85 countries. So, and wow. of course, like in the U.S., I've been like 40 times in China, several times, Indonesia, several times, and so on and so on. So I was like a very long time in airplanes, tour buses and stuff. And now I calmed a little bit down. I'm a bit tired of traveling. <laughs> sure. yeah. I didn't realize that while you were touring and, and in a band and everything that you were you were also simultaneously into aquariums and getting to, I knew you'd been in a band and I knew that you 
came into the hobby, but uh, that they were going on together is is kind of cool. It's I mean, it's an interesting mental picture of you coming off the stage, you know, playing a metal show and then going out and collecting fishes and spending time with other fans that are into uh, aquatics and the oh. hobby. Um, very cool, man. Very cool. Uh, articles and books. I wrote it in the tour bus. You know, other people went out to strip clubs and I I never went, <laughs> you know, to, to do this. For me, it was boring and I was married. I don't care right. in these things, you know, drugs, alcohol and smoking don't interest me. Not at all. This right. cannot excite me. So I did other things, you know, I went out in nature or wrote a book or wrote an article, talked to fans. And that is what I really appreciate and not not the, the wild part of the of the music, you know, the, the show industry. And I, I try to, no, it's not that even I try to avoid it. It was never in my interest. You know, I can really sure. say it calmly. I don't care about drinking, getting drunk and taking drugs. This, I don't care at all. Right. Which, you know, obviously there's all those stereotypes about a touring rock band, um, which I've never got to your level, but, you know, I played drums for a very long time, okay. most of my life actually. And uh, have done enough uh, low-level touring and been out with a band on the road and playing shows around the country, this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a nor uh, it's a, obviously a normal stereotype. But I too was never especially drawn to that. In fact, I I liked feeling really good for the next night. Uh, so, I mean, I I valued feeling well yeah. uh, as opposed to. Uh, not all, but but some uh, bandmates that I've traveled with over the years, you know, not choosing that route, eating poorly, not sleeping. Uh, you know the whole story, man. So, yeah, a passion for aquatics and nature and these kinds of, you know, it just feeds a deeper sense of purpose beyond, uh, I mean, this is the drug in some kind of ways, right? The exploring the nature loving the Probably, life, uh, all of this sort of thing you know you know drugs have an effect on you and nature has an effect on me too but for me drugs when i look at the people they make them freak out or bring them to places because but nature calm me down it's just the opposite it's, it's something that um puts me to the point you know of understanding the connection of life and all these kind of things i think Pretty early in my life, I understood what life is about. And that's why my life was different to most of other people. I choose very early. I have to be brave. If I'm not brave, I will just swim with the mainstream. And I said, I want to make it different. I want to try to live my life to the fullest in the way that it is like what I imagined life is. You know, I studied philosophy a couple of semesters. And in that time, I really made up my mind, what is life? And and then I decided, life, you have to be brave. And so I went that way, and luckily, I have I was very lucky, I have to say, and probably it was my, my way to go. Uh, it went well. But it's just what I can tell about my life. And just if people ask me, I can recommend, hey, be brave, live life, you know, and don't be afraid. Let Fear not be your headwind. Let fear be your backwind and bring you to things. And and I took it. I took these things in serious. I tried to live all these things that you see on internet when people post these kind of uh, sayings or whatever. 
in fact, they do it because I believe they encourage, want to encourage themselves to, to do these kind of things. But it's very hard. The theory, to, to know the theory is one thing. To do the practical part is another thing. And this is much more hard. So, wow. uh, yeah, this is my philosophy. But I know that you understand that because we talked already about these things. And what you, what I always have in mind when, it, when I listen to your name or I see you is one thing that I always remember. It's aware. Be aware. This you always told me. You remember? I remember that. Absolutely. No, very much so. I was actually getting just a little bit of goosebumps as you were speaking uh, in terms of the, the, I think bravery is, uh, it's a great way to frame it. And it may, it may kind of resonate with people even more deeply, but sometimes aware takes a, where I think we're so accustomed to not being aware that we, it takes a little more explanation to, uh, sometimes to, to, to get us to reset in that place. Uh, so I, I think bravery, it takes a certain bravery or almost a certain, uh, a certain, maybe the word, a certain fierceness or sort of, you have to be alert because, you know, the mind clearly wants to, uh, return to the unaware state where just thoughts are coming up. We're believing the thoughts We're we're following the, we're into the mind stream again of, of thinking and thought. And awareness is yes. becoming aware that that is happening. And uh, yeah. while to to many listeners, this may sound like a, a digression into uh, consciousness, uh, awareness, enlightenment, and philosophy, I, one, I hope it is. Uh, but moreover, you know, I think we can make a clear connection to the power of m many things in life, but the aquarium specifically very much has this capacity to bring us 100% into the now. In fact, when we look at an aquarium, uh, that few moments where there is no thought, you know, we're just there, though, even when they've done the, uh, the, the neuroscientists has hooked the diodes up to the, to the head and the body and everything. And they've measured this thing. I mean, there's, you can find a research online in many places. This has gone on for years. Yes. And that it's calming the body, uh, yes. the reduction in blood pressure, even the brainwave states are changing. Uh, yeah. that's meditation and meditation is not uh, sitting down on a pillow with the legs crossed and, and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to, to be calm. Meditation is, it can happen any, any time when you, when you're driving, when you're at this any time, and that's just returning to awareness, or I like this phrase, becoming aware of being aware. This I, I capacity for a human well, being to yeah. just, to, yeah, to just stop and you, become aware of being aware is, is a timeless thing. If something, if, if yeah, I so, connect I mean, with you, it's it's these words. I, I know that you're a great aquascaper, and I really appreciate that. But if I remember you, if somebody would ask me and put your name out, this will be the words that I will connect to you. You know exactly what you said with the awareness. So um, <laughs> you see, we we, we connect well, in, in on different uh, levels, and 
I mean, that's very interesting for me. You know, I, I when I talk to people, I want to connect not only talking about aquascaping. I want to talk about life, about honest about life, you know, not always just putting up things. That's why when you ask me, how are you today? This is usually a phrase, but when people ask me, how are you today? I want to tell them usually how I am. And then I can see if they really understand, if they really mean it. And then I know where I stand, you know? <laughs> so. Sure. Ultimately, it's such a big deal to me that like, because your awareness is really, that's really what you are at that. You're more awareness than you are mind or your sense of your self. You know, you could get knocked on the head just right. You knocked out cold, you wake up with something that even medical science would call amnesia, uh, where you would not recognize yeah. your own family. Uh, you, you, and yet your body and mind you would still be functioning, your brain, I should say, not so much the mind in that situation, that's a different discussion, but your body is still functioning, to your food is digesting, your hair is growing, the phenomena of vision is taking place, uh, but you, yeah. the identity, the name, your, the, this, this Chris character, at least for some time, maybe for a long time, is gone. And I'm just fascinated by that because it tells me that there's no way that uh, most of what I, what I am, most of what we are is not that named person that we're, uh, constantly dialoguing and creating narratives and stories in our mind with. So the awareness and remembering that, you know, that's, that's why that connection happens. It's because that's what you are. That's what I, that's what we all are fundamentally. What's beating your heart and beating my heart appears to be the exact same thing, you know, and that's such a, uh, profound sense of of uh connecting us that um wow if you can return to that sort of perspective many times over the course of a day you know it's going to make a difference in how you move in the world we should call this podcast philosophy and aquatics and uh, because uh, I, there's, I there's a... hey you know if it happens it happens you know but okay and here's what my my goal with that would be though there is a definite clear identifiable, almost objective connection to, to what we're pointing there to the aquarium in a particular dimension of enjoying an aquarium that, um, I, I would, I'm always pushing and promoting <laughs> that side of it because I think that's the most, that's where, uh, the greatest possibility of the aquarium and it's, benefit to humanity. I mean, this is the aquarium's contribution to human well-being is its capacity to inspire a effortless meditation. You're just taking it in, for, even if it's just a few seconds, uh, and with the magic of all of these new realms that have opened up really, you know, as I've been doing this a long time, and I would say in the past 10 years or so, uh, through social media, through being able to see what everybody is doing uh and not just you know a few people who's featured in a magazine or a book or you know how it was years and years ago uh yeah. you, you go you're seeing all these new realms have opened up uh aquascaping being one of them but uh the different interpretations people have of, of marine aquarium and fish keeping of course the shrimp keeping i mean you know 20 years ago there's none of these shrimps on the scene, man. This was not a thing, you know, so. An aquarium serves us in, in many ways, you know, it's, it's to discover, it's to observe, it's to learn. And 
um, you you basically dive into another world. Maybe humans, you know, you have them all day around you, are all time interacting, and you have to understand. And but then the aquarium is a total different world. It's different creatures. They function different. They are interesting to watch. So they serve us in in different ways. Not only the the relaxation, but they also um, make us un- try to understand another world, you know, or explore another world. And that's what for me is also so fascinating is um, to to explore these other creatures. They're not humans, you know. Humans we interact nearly all the time. Then we have the dogs, the cats, and so on. And but dogs and cats are more like uh, how can I say this aquarium world is totally different. It's it's. They behave different, you know, from a dog, you know, if, if he likes you, he comes to you and uh, you, you can see it. But with a fish, you are usually the people, they look at them and say, what, what is happening there? They, they don't know, you know. I think it's fascinating right. in, in, in race. It is. And that it's, it's, it's even too why I, uh, at, at home, I, I have returned to keeping goldfish uh, because... I just find them to have a, you know, an entirely different, this is something too, a lot of times I speak of it to my aquascaper friends. It is a little bit of eye rolling the eyes, you know, okay. But uh, there's just a different level of of engagement. And I've always said, I'm an aquarium, I love aquariums. I mean, I I love and engage and do all styles. Of course, I'm in a situation where I'm able to do that. Uh, I understand if you've got one or two aquariums, in a small home, et cetera, you know, you're not able to necessarily have one of every kind, though you are seeing a little bit more of a trend towards that direction. I think people, the kind of the home studio, uh, people turning their, their living rooms into aquarium galleries, uh, and exploring different styles. I'm seeing more and more of that, which I think is really cool. But the, the goldfish for me is just, it's almost, uh, if you observe enough fishes and aquatic animals over time, you do start to see maybe uh, degrees of almost a degrees of maybe consciousness or a degree of, uh, I guess we could call it other things like a personality or this, but these, the fa- fancy goldfish to me have just a very different character and engagement than any other fish, probably because of their extreme domestication. You know, that probably speaks to that. Just like we domesticated the wolves into all the different breeds of dogs. Uh, yeah. with their different dispositions and characteristics. You see this with the goldfish and my interaction with them. I've got uh, one rancher there. He comes up at feeding time and is, you know, letting me pet him on the head. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a, it's a very, it's a big detachment from the other kinds of work that I do with aquariums all day. Um, and uh, I just find it fascinating, but, but what, you're right. It's that yeah. a- access to another, another world. Um, and I, I fancy goldfish even open that up you know, in their own different and unique way. Uh, and so while it's not high-minded aquascaping, I've posted this goldfish tank before and, you know, got some some nasty comments here and there and, uh, oh, that's boring or, you know, they're so messy, why are you doing that? You know, uh, like they wouldn't expect it. They have some image of what I should be keeping. <laughs> yeah, but people don't And understand. I'm like, no, 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 it's amazing. Of course, they will tell you it's boring, but uh, people who don't understand then they say it's boring because they cannot understand it. But if you respect that everybody has his own world, you know, so I would not say it's boring, you know, you understand it this way, great for you. I mean, because we are also different, we have all different uh, tastes or whatever. Uh, so in, in my view, if you 
it also depends on how you approach a goldfish. If you really are into it, you most of the people that have goldfish, they have fish, some kind of fish, a goldfish, because maybe it's cheap or they just had it in the pet shop or they like these bowls with the fish in, inside or whatever. But if you do it the right way, you will see they also have their world, like the discus have their world or the shrimp, they have their world. And I could have... I'm a, I think that crayfish is the, the, the thing that I like so well, like you maybe now, the goldfish. But I, I do crayfish for a long time. But, you know, I went into this world because I was really, I wanted to understand it, you know. And so that's my interest, to understand it, to see what is out there. And and your goldfish has the same right as my crayfish or as a Malawi or a Tanganyika fish or whatever. And you can approach both in, in a way like, yeah, I just watch them, I have them. Or you say, okay, I want to go deep and understand it because then the work starts, you know. So goldfish is as equal as any other aquatic animal. And in my view, um, there is no big difference to if you handle them in that way or, you know. So that's why I think, hey, if you sure. want to understand them, do this work and let us know about it. And then we also can learn something from it and not just it's a goldfish. Well, it's boring. No, I don't see it like that. Right. Right. That's awesome, man. And, you know, and some of it, too, is just trying to. Uh, well, I think people get then there's a goldfish scene is what I'm trying to say. There's a goldfish community or tribe out there and they're sort of engaging with it all. And they create a certain kind of narrative about what keeping that fish is and how they're displayed and. Uh, they're looking for, there's a much uh, attention to the uh, the form of the fish, the quality of the fish, all this, you know, but um, yeah, it's still, it's a little hard sometimes to find that uh, total spectrum of appreciation for all the different types. I just say aquarium, you know, of all the different types of aquariums and all the things you can do, because that's uh, a point I, I make. I make often, maybe too often, but that especially in the social media, YouTube, et cetera, what wins there or what get, t tends to gather the most people, historically anyway, is the kind of tribe mentality or a niche. You know, the more, uh, the, the better you are at a niche, the more at attention that seems to grab from everybody else who's interested in it. And so sometimes an aquarium to show this huge spectrum of different things is a little hard to find uh, as much of an audience, you know, which I know we shouldn't be overly concerned about that. But, you know, if you're going to what if you're going to be posting something on a social media anyway, I mean, let's be honest, the, the idea is to connect with other people. Um, and it's not a criticism, but I do find that there's uh, it's harder when you're saying, oh, no, I love a goldfish and aquascaping, and cichlids, and shrimp, and marine tanks, hard coral, soft coral, marine fish, moray eel, uh, you know, crayfish, <laughs> puffer fish, yeah. all of it, you know, all of it. So it's, um, to me, it's just aquariums. And it's, it's even why I wanted to call this podcast the Aquarium Everything Podcast, uh, so that we can just cover all the ground and try to bring, you know, if we could kind of... Uh, just bring everybody into a collective thing where, because I learned, I learned so much from engaging with all the styles 
you know, and there's things from aquascaping that I've tried to translate over into marine aquariums in terms of composition and things like that. So, well, you know, the interests during a life uh, change also. For example, if you start with aquatics, of course, you're a beginner. You, you don't have an overview. But the older you get, and the more you are in the hobby, you have a better overview. And then you start and maybe go deeper and deeper. And after a while, you think that you know about something. You want to try another taste also. So you will go deeper and deeper into the next thing. That's why I think it's great that you are interested in many things. Because in the end of the day, you also can connect or make connections between uh, different things. Maybe your connection between goldfish and Malavis is the aquascaping. So it's like a bridge, you know, and you, you find always a new way to approach goldfish or the Malavis. And I think it's, it's great, a great way to do it like that. And uh, it's a very creative way. And it's, it opens you also the way to go more broad, you know, to have a better spectrum about the whole hobby. So if you're just focused in beta, it's okay to do it. You know, I have nothing against it. Do it. But if you want to have a, a really overview over the whole thing, then you should look at all of it, you know. And it, But this is just a recommendation. I am not like a preacher that you have to. No, you don't have to. Do whatever you like. Of course not. Um, of course. I will do it in the way that I like it. And yeah. Yeah, it's one thing I was going to say I admire about Oliver is uh, at least here in the past few years, more so, you know, he really shows us and has, a, you know, has a, a nice big audience too to show a bigger spectrum of aquarium and aquarium styles and possibilities. And he works with the cichlids and um, he really, this is a passionate uh, aquarist. You know, this is something beyond just aquascaper, you know, this is, uh, and uh, I, I admire that a lot. And he's, he's in, in my view, the most open-minded, one of them, I would say not the most, because that's always difficult, because things shift also. It's a constant flow. It's I would not put anyone as the best, but he's one of the people that I think is very creative and open-minded. And um, I know that he's passionate. He's constantly thinking about things. I have a lot of respect for him. I know him since 35 years or something. We... We uh, grew up in the same pet shop besides university. I worked in that shop and he too and oh, some man. other people too that, that are now known in the hobby. So um, I, I know his career for a long time. He was always humble. He's a very nice guy. Um, not the ego. You know, we, we as artists have always a big ego. And this is something that is always we get confronted with and we have to handle that in a way. If we are aware of it, yeah, this is the, the point. Our ego is there and you talked about it before that uh, that we want to create things and be present and want to have audience and this and that. And it's, this is like the contrapoint of the, the passion, the ego that, that wants to be heard or, or seen or all that. But then we have to see or ask ourselves why we do it. Do we want to present a big audience because of our ego or because we really live it and like it? And in this way, I would say Oliver is doing a pretty good job um, and he really lives it. I have a lot of respect that he's consequently um, doing it in a good and right way, you know? I, like I told you, I'm an artist. I know how to, what it is to be on stage and all these things. And I thought about ego and why I do things, why I do what I want to have that my videos have a lot of views. 
and this always brings me a little bit in, in the conflict with my uh, with my how can I say the the part the human part in me that thinks I should not go for these things I should go for the passion because that's the only thing that counts you know and if you want to be a good teacher don't keep things for yourself show it to everyone be generous and and all these kind of things and I try to think more about these things than just to create a big audience so the human factor always gets into these things as well and with Oliver right, yes. I think uh he's a good example of uh, being just doing it in the right way he's very authentic i mean what you know he's really uh Absolutely. he's just sharing sharing things he loves and moments he loves and uh people i think that yeah. resonates with people and he goes he we, he goes way back too i can remember well well before social media and uh when even not many people were online or had a website uh him, he was sharing photos and one of the few people early on that, you know, I really connect with, oh, wow, here's somebody else uh, doing this kind of work and maybe, maybe seeing all this in the, in the same kind of way when, you know, at the time, the only real uh, consistent inspiration at that time was maybe Mr. Amano or, you know, then there was like the, the experts uh, in more of the scientific realm, you know, the, the cichlid masters, the, the, the discus masters, uh, guys that were really doing progressive things with marine tanks. But, uh, you know, Oliver was really early on the scene with sort of aquascaping and showing us a deeper possibility, you know? So that's cool that you guys have known each other that long. I wasn't aware of that, that you worked together in a, in a shop and, and all of this. So you, you go back, I mean, you were, engaged in the hobby uh and even say working in a tropical fish store uh, a long time ago yeah. maybe even before the music career it, it parallel I, I went to to the university and i did the the music and i did the aquatic hobby in fact it it, it just ignited in in a, in one or two years where i did like all of that and then i went I try to go always parallel with music. I didn't want to give up the music because it was really nice to be touring and all that and be creative. You know what I enjoyed most? I hated photo sessions and all that stuff. What I enjoyed, it's not that I hated it because hate is not in, I, in fact, I don't hate nothing. I just, um, I'm not patient enough for everything, but, um, with, with the music, I, I enjoyed the process of creating, of writing music. And then when the people come to you and you know what? A lot of people told me about my songs that I've written. I understand water here. Uh, you know, the flowing of the water. And when you can hear that in a song, and I always also said it then in interviews, you know, if when I write, I, I like this, this to think in moments where I'm at the river or, you know, this nature stuff. And I always said it and uh if you listen at, at the songs, they are connected. There's a flow of emotions and all that. It is connected to nature very often, you know, also the lyrics. So there is, um, there is this connection. For sure. How did you get into the, uh, the, your, your underwater and your, your actual going to habitats, uh, YouTube videos and your, your filming there is really extraordinary. In fact, if you were, to, I have a, a whole 
folder on my phone and on my computer of, you know, I will take screen grabs or screenshots from your videos when I see just a little frame, a little moment. And this is actually inspired numerous aquascapes that I went on to do. They would just give me a, a, a wonderful sort of little moment of, you know, just the way the angle was or whatever, the way you showed the plants. And I'm like, oh, wow. And maybe I don't, I'm not recreating it exactly, but I've gotten so many ideas, in all honesty, so many ideas from your uh, videos, your underwater stuff. Uh, obviously, this is just an extension of your, of your passion for it, right? Well, this is a part of my passion. I mean, I, I've seen it the first time. I remember Oliver Lucano showed a video, and I was, this is amazing. I want to do the same. And I immediately I, I caught fire and I said, I will do it. And two months later, I was in a plane and I went to Florida, I think. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that it was Oliver Lucanus that showed a little film, a little clip, and I said, I want to do that. And the underwater yeah. landscapes, you know, there are not many people have seen them. If you see the mountains, if you see a forest, yeah. a lot of people have seen it. Yeah, but, but rivers and creeks and lakes, not too many people uh, present that. Yeah. And they are in a, in a constant move, these these land underwater scapes you know the the underwater landscapes if you want to call it like that i'm german my 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 uh, vocabulary is not that great but in if you have a landscape outside like you see a forest that that changes just slowly over 10 50 20 100 years but the underwater uh scenery it can change the next year it can be totally the same place can be totally different and right. um well i i love to shots of that and present it to people because not not everybody goes snorkeling in in a creek or uh you know they want to go to the to the sea or see their corals and this and that but freshwater is more rare so i try to visit all over the planet the freshwater habitats or the freshwater uh, places with clear water and plants and so on to to present them so this is something that i really really enjoy and there's not uh, as many, like I say, it is more, it is more rare in that uh, where many tropical fish come from anyway is not an underwater garden. Um, you know, it may be a tannin, uh, tannin water with uh, fallen trees and leaves and sand and something that looks maybe more like when we do a, a hardscape style aquarium. Uh, and yet, you know, yeah. and that's why, again, I've just been you know, just my mind blown almost every time I see some of these pristine, really underwater, uh, freshwater landscapes, again, for lack of a better term, we don't even have a right vocabulary to talk about this thing because we don't see it as much of it. Um, and yeah. that th these are, uh, I, I take it anyway, that these are sort of isolated areas. I mean, this is not something one can just travel to the tropics and, you know, jump in the water and, and start seeing these scapes. How, how have you learned about some of the, these amazing locations again with the, you know, it's just something so fascinating to human mind about the clear water, the green plants, the swaying in the current, fishes swimming. I mean, some of your footage to me, I mean, like this is as, as fascinating and there's as much depth and interest here as, as any reef that I've ever seen. You know, any coral reef. Uh, I mean, in yep. other words, it's not, it's a different experience, but a very, there's a lot 
there's a lot there again that sort of hasn't had the attention of of the coral reefs in terms at least in terms of footage and people sharing it you know well we are interested in freshwater so that of course catches our attention but it, it i think the gods have been very uh, uh generous with me to let me discover these places because you know that a place can be great in one year and the next year it can be devastated like it's 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 just gone so I was so lucky to find these places wow. in the right moment at the right time. And for example, in Florida, I've been a couple of times there, but there's just some uh, uh, years like there was the Hurricane Katrina, I think. And after that, and still to today, the, the place is not the same anymore. The plants, because the water was like uh, very dark for a whole long time. And the plants died, you know, so then it was just algae and was just the place looks so, so different. And I was there the year before and two years before, and I could really enjoy the place. And then you have to go early morning because you don't want that people uh, disturb the place and there's the fish there and all that. So I have been luck. Jeff is something very important in a human's life. You know, you if you are lucky, you can go everywhere. It doesn't matter if you are super smart, if you have no luck. <laughs> forget it you know it's like if you're unlucky sure. you can be the smartest person on earth it will not bring you anywhere but this was something that the old jewish guy told me i met him on 5000 meters in the chilean andes and um he, he told me chris if you could choose between being lucky and being very smart what would you choose and he said to me always choose lucky and he was like 80 something sure. and was up there on the high, high mountains i could not even get air while my wife was jumping around because she's half Indian also, but I could because so high there's no oxygen. And this old guy told me this these wise words, and I always remember them. So luck is something sure. that brought me, I think, and the generosity of the gods that brought me to these places. To be honest, I believe that. Wow, that's awesome, man! And I I think there's got to be a moment too when you first dip under that water. And you're capturing the footage and just uh, it. And I, and I love how your footage kind of even I'm looking on my phone, but I'm, I'm there for a minute, you know, for just a minute. I'm, I'm there and I'm uh, well, this, this has is, to be a this is what pretty I, amazing sensation. I want that the people join me because I want to show them these places. You know, I want to share. Right. Sharing is Generosity and sharing is something very important. And again, this has something to do with the ego that I, for me, I want to work it. I want to uh, uh, have this, not the fight, but this this thing going on with the ego. I always tell myself, share the things, tell the people where it is, go there, look at it, and not keep things for yourself. And this is how I look, I see it in the art, in the music, in the paintings. I give away paintings sometimes to, to people just... Because I think a, a human and, and generosity is something that needs to be connected because that what is what makes us human in a way, you know, uh, to, to be generous and love. And for me, love is the greatest thing on the planet. And that comes even before nature, which I love a lot. But love is the most important thing. And that has to do something with the lifestyle, with the mindset. This is also a word that you love. I, I remember you, you talked about that also. Um, so I, this is in a way all connected. And these places are a big part of my life and of my happiness. And I want to share this with as many people as I can. 
and the the views are not even so important. It's just that the, to to share it is is spreading the love and and the passion, and this is how I see it. That's beautiful, man. It could be a thing, even uh, maybe organizing some expeditions, you know, with the social media reach, et cetera. To, uh, this could be an amazing thing to, you know, 10, 12, you know, just to have other Aquariists and passionate people about aquatics to uh, get together and explore some of these I want- places. I know I would cert. I would, I would never go there without someone first telling me, hey, this is the spot. We've been there before. Let's go. You know, uh, that would inspire me to, to do it for, for sure, you know. I want to do it. I have the idea to bring people to this beautiful river in, in Bosnia, Herzegovina, which I was, I, you could not get out, me out of this river. I, I was there in the morning, six already, before anybody was up, and I went out when it was dark. And I did this for a couple of days because I could not get enough. And I said, okay, next time I come, I will bring as many people as I can to this place and we will enjoy together. I will show them how to film underwater, what is important, and do it, in fact, for free because then it's a real teaching, you know. Um, I would like that people join me to some places to enjoy this, to share the things together because that is just, that is a great thing, you know. If you have things in common, you have a love... That, that you can share with others that love the same thing. What What is better there, you know? Of course, my family is more important this. But if you have a passion for something, share it with the people that also have the same passion. And it's great, you know? Don't keep everything for yourself. Um, and I want to do it. I already said it on the videos that if people want to join me in the next summer to this place, let's do it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'll be watching for, for more of that because I would that that would be incredible, and to, you know, just to be taken right to these special spots would be amazing. I think it's so cool too that you've. Uh, I'll be going. Oh my God! You you'll post some underwater footage, and I'll be thinking this must be in the tropics somewhere or something. And it's uh, in it's a stream in Germany, or now you just describe Bosnia, uh, places where there's these fantastic underwater scenes that I think. The average person, even the average, you know, uh, passionate uh, Aquarius is unaware that these worlds exist in some of these places. We're just thinking, you know, South America, we're thinking Amazon, we're thinking Southeast Asia, we're thinking West Africa, uh, maybe a little bit Australia, maybe there's some things in North America. But um, that some of the places you've been, I I imagine, too, these are like in Bosnia, for example, is this a colder water? situation there i mean in other words there's no and we don't see these animals from bosnia in aquarium very often i don't think well we don't but now we we see some because i showed the footage and there's some interesting things but you also have to see some places is like they're changing during the the season or like in brazil in summer it's not the same like in winter the plants are more reduced and that's happened here in Germany also. But there is some places that are sure, a sure deal. And Bosnia, for example, is a sure deal. I, that's why I can invite wow. people there without a very big risk. But if you go, for example, sure. to Florida, it can happen that the hurricane is too much rain and you, can, you don't see nothing because the water is brown. But Bosnia is such a place where I would say, even if it rains, even if there is 
more water, you still see they have a great visibility or springs, you know, some springs that are always like clear water. Rainbow River in Florida is always great. You nearly cannot miss it. So that's something you, you could do every weekend. If I was in the U.S., I would be out all the time, you know. So here in Europe, there's not that many places because, yeah, uh, here... It's it's a bit too many people on a concentrate little European place, um, and but in the U.S. you have fantastic places in California, in Florida, in Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. There's so many spots that I could recommend. Amazing places, nature. Sure. You are very blessed with good nature in the U.S. It's true, actually. Yeah, I think there's. A certain fascination when you see a familiar aquarium fish in the wild. You know, there's that that tetra, that cichlid. Uh, there's a a plant that we that we keep in aquascaping, and you know that's always there's an added layer of of interest as aquarium hobbyists there. But you're absolutely right. The over, the overall access to aquatic nature uh, is something that can certainly you know inspire our aquariums, and you know. Uh, these may not be areas where fish are collected for aquarium trade, et cetera, but... They're very interesting because you find things that yeah. I've not seen before in the aquarium. I mean, if you go to Alabama or to Georgia, northern part or Tennessee, you see a lot of snails, you see fish, you see crayfish, you even see shrimp, you see turtles, you see snakes, and all in one spot, plus the clear water. I mean, I could spend a day there because you also have colorful fish. But the darters, for example, beautiful, colorful fish. Right. It's beautiful to observe them. You don't have them in the trade. But for me, that doesn't matter. I know that an aquarist wants to see neon tetras in, in the habitat. And that's okay. Perfectly okay. But I'm interested in that, but also in the in the things that are not shown or or popular, you know, because... And then there's the spirit of discovering. And I... I think this is a big part uh, that I want to discover things. I want to see, I just described a new species from Papua. I have described several new species. And the discovering of these things is also very exciting exciting for me, you know, to, to have this part, being an explorer, discoverer. And that is uh, a big part as well, you know. That's why I love to go to Papua New Guinea. I've been in beautiful places there, clear water, rainbow fish there, amazing. Yeah, definitely your work with crayfish especially has just exposed a, yet another whole new dimension. Like how I know about any of those animals is exclusively through your, you know, discovery, sharing, exposure of them. And wow, who who knew? I mean, some of the, 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 the colors, the character, uh, the visual interest, this uh, fascinating animal that I, I, you know, I, growing up here in Texas, sometimes uh, in Houston called the Bayou City, uh, because it's, yeah. that's just been how the water's been managed. There's a lot of bayous, et cetera. So having a ditch uh, in front, in your front yard, you know, for water drainage was uh, very normal growing up uh, where I lived anyway, even in the suburbs, people may have this, you know, a ditch. And if it rains enough, this is a little mini river. This is a little miniature stream and you're right in your front yard. And, uh, the crayfish were just abundant. I mean, sometimes after, uh, you know, several weeks of rain, 
Now, this type would make this uh, kind of a mud mound, little clumps of mud and up in a mound. Uh, and, and so this would be a whole, we call them crawdads. We call them <laughs> crawdad was the name we called these things as kids. But yeah, you, you could look down the, down the ditch after the water had receded. There was this dirt mound. I mean, hundreds of them. I mean, you just all the way down for as far as you could see down in the ditch after the water receded. Um, and we were out there, we would take, uh, like a little piece of bacon or some lunch meat and we put on a paper clip with a string and drop it into water, you know, just to attract them. We just pulling up and looking at them, you know, we throw them back in, in the water. Uh, but I had, you know, and occasionally we would get a bright red one and we, as kids, we called these, uh, we just, you know, making up names. We called them red hots. Oh, wow. You know, this was like, oh man, you caught a red hot. Uh, my point is though some of the color and variety of these of these animals is something i had no absolutely no idea uh that they existed and i think you've been uh one of the forerunners in act in discovering some of these and definitely at the forefront of exposing yeah. them uh to people i collected 500 species What's the number again? five really 500 species i collected myself and uh, I described, I don't know how many, but I described several. I just described one, uh, came out a paper like 10 days ago. I named it, I mean, I named the crayfish after Edward Snowden because I think that he's, uh, I respect him a lot because he really, uh, sure. you know, my, my, my political view, if we discuss He, he had to be very brave, a lot, of, lot of bravery. Yeah. yeah, I think he's a very brave man, you know, so for me, that uh, I will give him respect. And uh, just last week, I, dis I described uh, crayfish after left-wing politician in Germany, and the media was full of it. Uh, but I don't do it because of detention. I do it because of respect. I want to support people that are brave, you know. Um, so sure. in that moment where I was just sitting on the desk, all the, the stuff, and, and working with the crayfish, uh, Edward Snowden was on TV. So I said, wow, this guy deserves a lot of respect. And I followed him then. And... And that's why I named it after him. But this is my political view. <laughs> and uh, sure. Yeah, just fine. Is that something that you get? Like if you've you've presumably made the discovery, there's no is this a case? So there's no particular scientific documentation of that particular species or whatever. And, and you're, you're actually able to create the name for it. And I guess there's is there some sort of process for submitting this? So the broader scientific community and, take, and research is made aware. That's, it, it takes a while to describe a uh, crayfish because from the discovery, then you have to see, okay, what is the distribution area of the species? And then, <laughs> sorry, uh, I had to fly to Papua to see, okay, is it really there? And um, then you have to do the genetics that takes a, a long time and all the work, the process of wow. reviewing and so on and so on. The last crayfish I described, it cost me like I, I found it 2006. So you can imagine for some, it takes a long, long time, you know, and uh, because right. Papua is not so easy. Papua is a very difficult place. Always when I'm there, they want to kill me because, um, yeah, they, they, they kill each other still there in this in these remote places. And then when a white person comes there, of course, they have the, the thing that uh, they get a lot of trouble from white people that come there and just uh, right. built all these 
palm oil stuff and they take their land and they uh, just don't care. <coughs> Sorry. So often, very often, I, I run into trouble in Papua. And, um, until, but until now, the gods have been generous and they say it's not your moment doesn't, is not now. So they let me survive. I, I trust in that a lot. Right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, yeah, I did, uh, just getting towards the end of our conversation here, Chris, but I wanted to touch on a few, you know, basic, this is probably some very uh, overly basic questions, but uh, since you do have such a depth of knowledge about shrimps specifically, and this has uh, been a, a, a huge area of interest and in, I mean the the growth for for us uh anyway in my store for uh for the shrimps has been uh just crazy. I mean there's a really people really love the freshwater shrimps and it's just a there's just a it's a whole new cool dimension uh mixes elements of uh regular freshwater keeping there's a there's a plant aspect an aquascaping aspect to it there's a straight collecting aspect to it um and so there's just there's a lot of depth to the shrimp that i i probably didn't didn't hit didn't occur to me at first you know i i didn't uh i didn't i don't i wouldn't say i didn't get it but it wasn't something where i didn't understand quite the the possibility of of the shrimp scene so um it's something I'm still learning. I've I have not ever of all the things I've done, I've never really done a proper, you know, exploration of of keeping the shrimps myself personally. I mean, we have them in the store. I'm around them a lot. I've just learned from being around them, but it's uh, something I'm still yet to really dive into personally. Kind of strangely, um, I, I I couldn't even tell you why because I've become totally fascinated with them. But um, if you were going to say uh, in terms of, uh, 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 let's say three to five species that are, you know, your best suggestion for someone just getting into shrimps, uh, what, what would those be? What, what's your kind of going to, uh, easiest to keep is, is probably part of that, uh, question too. Well, there is, of course, Neocardina, Davidi. This species is so variable in colors, in patterns. So I would go and uh, promote them for beginners because they have a very broad spectrum or parameters of how you can keep them. And uh, from temperature to pH to hardness. So for beginners or people that just want to start with shrimp, I would recommend Neocardina, Davidi. They call them the cherry shrimp. And they have been the first ones right. that really went worldwide. They have been the crystal red shrimp, but crystal red shrimp, they need a, a low pH, like 6.2, 6.4. And they need like, in fact, rainwater with a conductivity of like 40 or something. Um, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. It seems that uh, crystal red shrimp are a little bit more difficult to keep than the neocardina that have a very broad spectrum that are more easy to keep and they reproduce and so on. Because reproduction is something that people, if they have this kind of success, they get motivated. So that's why I would recommend Neocardina Davidi for beginners. You have a broad spectrum of colors, at least 15 different colors, patterns, so on. 
So that makes it, of course, uh, nice to look at if you have an aquarium, a nano aquarium with 30 shrimp in it, uh, and they have like five, six colors. This, they look like candies, you know, and that is fascinating, right. fascinating for people that start, you know, it's color. They want to have colorful, interesting animals in their tank, especially in the USA, where color is so important to the, to the hobbyist. <clears throat> um, that's when I, when I came to the US with, with the aquariums that I escaped on the shows and so on, I always mixed the colors. And in the beginning, the shrimp people have been like, that was blasphemy. But I said, look, this is a different market. The people see it different. If you want to make it popular, make them interested in it, you know, and don't be too much of a preacher and tell them you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Experiment and see, and it it will be okay. So <clears throat> I, I think that is a good recommendation, I can tell. And would they, they would be ones that don't necessarily need a, say, like a soil substrate. Exactly. So that the things are more easy okay. with them because you can usually take the tap water. Um, you can take any kind. You can take soil, of course, too, because they also, um, they can live in a habitat or in a place where the pH is lower, but they also can live in a bigger river where the pH is higher, whereas uh, um, not that much, much oxygen, you know, like the Caridina, they need a lot of oxygen and they need cooler water. When I was in Hong Kong, and this is something that, I did. I always went to Habitat. I went to China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Sulawesi, just to see how these guys live. And when you look at the habitats and you put some attention there, then you can find out about things. And then you can say, okay, um, this is probably the thing that they like or they don't like. So this is essential in my view. If you want to write a book or you want to make a good YouTube video about the things, you should go to the places and see where these animals live. Uh, that's yeah, very very wise. I think that is an often overlooked aspect of how we seek to understand a lot of the things we keep in aquariums. Uh, you yeah. did mention rainwater. Uh, is so this is a this could be an advantageous uh, thing to do for Caridina. some types of shrimps. Yeah, for caridina, if you okay. Uh, you can take RO water, of course, and then you harden it up with those different salts because that really helps. But sure. you also just take rainwater if you want to collect it and then keep a crystal red shrimp with it. Usually it goes well. Or you go to Walmart and buy the mountain water, which is also okay um, to, to use it. RO water, mountain water, they have it in like these gallon uh, canisters. Um, or you just collect the rainwater. If it's not in a big city... Uh, sure. In a big city, usually is a lot of pollution. And uh, shrimp get very, if you just, for example, if you go and gas up your car and you touch the nozzle there and you go back home, forget to wash your hands and you put it in an aquarium, the shrimp can freak out. So this, there's a lot of things that, in fact, uh, could affect them. Yeah, but uh, this, you have to just pay attention. They are sensitive to some things. Sure, sure. Uh which, or are, are, which, it would, would still be talking about the Neocaridina as far as if we were, say, looking for the best shrimp for a classic aquascape. So we don't want to make a shrimp tank specifically, but we want to add some variety of shrimp to more of an aquascaping scene. Well, Is it still Neocaridina still be your go-to, or do we have a wider variety there? 
I know where you want to go to because I can feel that you want that I mention the Amano shrimp because this is, I have seen it, I think, in your <laughs> I have seen Amano shrimp in your tanks and this is a great, uh, um, it's a great shrimp and uh, Takashi Amano was, in fact, the first one that made it really public that shrimp uh, can help an aquascaper to keep the aquarium in a balance, in a good balance. It, it, you have to add it to the balance so to keep it in the balance yeah so uh yeah i i would say amano shrimp are great do you have to um think about some things you know amano shrimp can get up to 11 years 10 11 years they grow bigger than the neocardina so in in nano tanks of like three gallon uh it's a little bit difficult they jump out of the water they go out of the water more often than other shrimp they like protein. That means that if you have little neocardinas and the mano shrimp are hungry and are in need of protein, they will probably go after the babies too. They are more aggressive than other okay. shrimp. So these are all factors that you have to think about then if you want to have a mano shrimp, but they do a great job. There's no doubt about that. You know, They eat a lot of uh, biofilm and all these kinds of, if you have, if you feed too much, etc., etc., they are great helpers, and they are, in fact, which is why I, that's why I, was, I thought of using them. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't I think, think of the. I almost don't think of the. A mono shrimp is like essential part of the aquascaping recipe or formula. Like you have to certain point you put in your shrimps, but it's almost for a practical purpose of algae control. It's sometimes even called algae eating shrimp. <laughs> you know, it's like so. Uh, and they're fascinating and, and super cool creatures. But if we wanted to have a little broader shrimp variety in an aquascape, uh, would it still be that Neocaridina is the best case? And in terms, one of my point is that we're not making a, a shrimp specific uh, scape or aquarium. We just, in the same way that we can just put the Amano shrimp in and we don't really do anything special for them. They're just living in there. They're living off of, whatever algaes they're eating, etc. So are there other uh, more fancy shrimps that we can have in that same kind of way? Well, we don't, we're just adding to our aquascape. We're not requiring a special treatments. Yeah, but the point is usually people also want to have babies. This is something they, they really want to have. And they if they have this success, they go on. And amano shrimp don't reproduce in freshwater. They need brackish or marine water to, to bring up the larvae or that the larvae can grow. Um, and neocardina don't need that, you know, they, they reproduce in freshwater. So that's the great thing. You can, you, if you reproduce them, you don't have to buy new ones, you know, you just reproduce them and then you see the success and then you get motivated. There is, of course, other caridinas. There's like the shadow shrimp. I call them shadow shrimp. It's a huge variety of patterns of colors. There even is the metallic shrimp. I don't know if you have seen it. A, a metallic shrimp. It's, it looks like an, knight like an armored uh, thing and it's amazing what is possible there and this also keeps the hobby alive it was like in the 80s and 90s when all these new malavis came in you remember that time there was the trend and the trend stopped when they didn't import any more new things the people are neophile we call it in germany probably is an uh, english word for that they always want something new and that keeps the trend going on you know if you add always something new you make it interesting something is happening there so of course there's thousands of patterns of of crossbred shrimp like 
different species like the tiger shrimp and the logemani shrimp, the crystal red shrimp. If you cross them, crossbreed them, you can have a huge variety of colors, patterns. Not, not even there's things that I thought in the in the past are not even possible. Now they are possible. Are so are most of the shrimps that we see uh, in the hobby. Uh, most of these have been they're domesticated. They've been bred for these colors and this kind. Of, I mean, in other words, yeah. how many of these shrimps are actually come from the wild, or where we the the shrimp that we keep is the wild presentation of that species? Yeah, I would say that meanwhile, and I just posted in Facebook today that I have not seen a wild type shrimp anymore, like not really in, I would say in the past it was like 50-50, yeah, and now we have like, I would say 90 to 10%, which is in one way good okay. because they leave the habitat in peace and they don't collect, or maybe it's, we have a problem because they already collected them all, you know, and this gives me a headache, right. but um Usually, Neocaridina, I would say, is the widest spread shrimp on the planet. And then comes maybe okay. even the Amano shrimp, which is also, meanwhile, bred in bigger facilities. So it don't, they don't come from the wild anymore. So they are, in fact, also domesticated. But that would be a wild shrimp that would say, yo, this is from the 10% that we have out there. But if you look at pet shops or people's homes, Neocaridina is everywhere. Okay. In and all the countries, uh, so it's kind of like if a, I go to Argentina, to maybe discus. Well, um, so there, yeah, could could there's be, way more, there more, easy. That, more discus varieties than there are wild, right? Yeah, yeah, but they are much more easy to keep, yeah. you know. So the, the, that's why they are also so successful. They are little, they are colorful. They, you can have them in, in tiny tanks, which are very flexible in nano tanks, and they don't harm, you know, they in fact, they don't harm nobody. In fact, the fish harm them. If the fish are too big, they will eat them. But that's that's a great thing, you know, if, if uh, a species has such a big spectrum of adaptation and all the colors and doesn't harm anyone, that's a, a success, you know, for the, for the species. Sure. Yeah, my point about discus was to say that we have far more varieties of a domesticated discus than there is, you know, sort of known wild species or so many of the wild ones were, you know, uh, Heiko Blair collected at one time yeah. and took a picture and we never saw this thing again, you know, but uh, so similar with the shrimp, we could say the majority of what we see uh, available for our aquariums are, uh, these are breeders and people developing new strains from the e existing availability. Um, so even the so, metallics, yes. I, for I example, this is just would not have been created like that. I mean, we meanwhile I would say yes, the, the variety of we have like two hundred uh, caridina neo caridina out there, a species, yeah. But we have for sure four hundred types of of uh, if just if you look at all the neo caridina that that are out there, the different patterns, the different colors, they alone have already like thirty different ones or even more. 35 maybe meanwhile you know that you have strains there but then come all the shadow shrimp that is nearly endless you know this crossbreeding between the tiger and the crystal red shrimp they produce so many different varieties that this is uh incredible in fact already we have more than 200 forms 
from just those. Yeah, so we are over, we over uh, took the, the species level of Caridina. Is there any hope of the some of these amazing crayfish that you've been featuring uh, and, and, and showing us and in your books, et cetera, that are they something that could scale in the hobby by being bred in captivity or, you know, some of these ones with the fantastic colors and this sort of thing? Is there any, is it, or is that something we don't really know how to do yet? Well, the crayfish is a little bit more difficult because crayfish are aquascapers themselves. It's not that they eat the plants, but mostly they like to make their own house. So they will rescape your aquarium. If you have a nice aquarium, they will rescape it. And people are then afraid that they eat their fish, which is not always the case. For example, right. these big charaks that are out there, they usually don't eat fish. The big adult charaks, they eat detritus, mostly. Like 80% of their food is detritus. Juvenile crayfish is just the opposite. They eat a lot of protein, a lot of worms, little tiny uh, insects, water insects, and so on. But the, the problem with them, they have two big keelies. Yeah? If the people see them, they will see, they will eat my fish. This is what they see, and they will destroy my aquarium. Yeah, if they are, I have them in, in my aquarium, I have them with tiny little fish and, not, and shrimp, and nothing happens. But to convince people that nothing happens when they see a big crayfish with two big keelies, <laughs> that's nearly impossible. But they have beautiful colors right. and uh yeah they're very interesting you, is I there any is there is there a chance of some of the broader uh species that you've discovered and that you've kind of made the world aware of becoming more available in in the hobby uh this is something that there's there any kind of possibility of a growing segment with with with, with I, the crayfish i i don't think in the u.s because you, the U.S. law has a lot of restrictions about crayfish. There's a lot of states where crayfish are not even allowed. You cannot transport them from one state to another state because a lot of the species are invasive. So, of course, the uh, right. uh, fish and, and uh, what is the, the, the agency, Fish and Wildlife, they try to protect the, the species, which I 100% agree. I worked for Fish and Wildlife for a while, and I know the problems. And I know that uh, people who go fishing, they take species and just release them in other places. And it's a huge problem. So, of course, but the Papua crayfish, for example, they are warm water crayfish. They will do great in Florida. Yeah. But the more north you go, like Kentucky already, they would just die because the water will be too cold and so on. But Florida, they could end up like like the, the snakes there or the frogs or whatever. They, they could make a, a huge impact on uh, nature and we don't want that the people release them here in Germany it gets too cold for them so no chance for them to survive here as a niche they are already big or popular in Germany because I did a lot of publication a lot of presentation in the magazines but in the US it's it's a, it's a different market it's um, you have great crayfish in the states or in the in the US but I don't see it as big as shrimp not by far. Uh, here in the U.S., how you just go past a certain line, more or less in terms of the states, and because it gets cold enough there, uh, fishes are legal there that are not legal, say in Texas. There's, you know, we're pra almost tropical here, uh, and so many things obviously could survive year-round in the water here that they're illegal here, but they're legal just a few states away. Uh, which yeah. has always struck me as odd. It's like, well, you could, 
you could literally just drive there and bring them back. I don't, of course, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying that it's, it's sort of a, a random thing that it's, it's legal there. Not, I mean, people's going up north and buying piranha uh, and just, you know, they're just driving in their car. So there's no, there's no checkpoint you know, at which, so it's kind of arbitrary. And yeah, it has definitely, which is probably why we have to have a stricter laws and regulation about that stuff here, just to deter it from being so easily, you know, out of hand. Um, oh, I was just going to say, maybe it's something we could get more into if we wanted to keep some of the crayfish, uh, getting into going out and, and looking for them ourselves. But I've always wondered, I've always had a little part of me that I'm not so sure, or I never feel right about going into nature and then taking the thing out of its habitat so I can go put it in a box in my, in my house, uh, to keep it. But, you know, certainly some of this has gone on along on the, the way uh, anyway, but. This is in, how, how it got my interest. You know, now I protect crayfish, but before I was taking them out of the habitat and now I can do a real protection work for them and not protect one, but protect thousands of species. So I'm sorry for the sorry. one that suffered that I put in a box. I was five. Uh, but now I'm interested and now I can I can really uh, like uh, study species and try to protect them. So sorry for that one that ended up in my little aquarium. But you have a lot of, in some states like Alabama, you have 82 species of crayfish. Can you imagine that? And some are really, really beautiful, beautiful, nice colored. And if you are a responsible aquarist and if you are smart enough, you will not release them, you know, because you could imagine that it has an impact, bring diseases or whatever, you know. But some people are not um, there with this responsibility, so they need laws. <laughs> they need to, to have these kind of things. Otherwise, I would say, yeah, it's fine that you have some piranhas in Texas, but it's not fine if you release them. That is a no-go. You know, I, right. I don't support these kind of things. Right. But hey, I, am, I would say I'm a professional aquarist, so I know it. But some people are not that professional, and they don't know. So we have to teach them. I mean, our bios here in Houston are actually notoriously full of m many tropical fish from you know, a lot from South America. They're able to, to live in the water here. Uh, you know, Oscars and Paku and uh, Placostomus and, you know, these things are different cichlids um, are abundant, actually, in some of the bios, which obviously have come from people releasing them. And it's, a, it's an age-old problem. Um, for sure. But uh, so, Chris, do you have any plans to come to the, will you be in the U.S. again anytime in the near future that you're well, aware of? of I, hey, I was like uh, three, three, four times in the U.S. every year. But Corona came and then I slowed down with the traveling. And now I'm a bit lazy, but I have a good, I have a lot of friends in the U.S., you know, a lot of nice people there. Uh, and my friend Corey McElroy from Aquarium Co-op, he was here a couple of weeks ago and he, he comes to Germany and then we do stuff together. And I want to, to go with him and, and show him some of the nice places uh, in, in the U.S., you know, go crayfishing with him and do these kind of things. Um, I, I want to finish my, my crayfish book. It's like a, a monster book. It has 800 pages. Um, no, 400 pages, wow. 800 species in it. That 800 photos and stuff. So I need to still collect a couple of species, photograph them. I want to film more underwater in the U.S. U.S. always is great to go. Um, 
to to you know to go to the nature there that is what i really love um so definitely i i'm 100 sure that it will come to the us again because that's the country i've been most you know like 40 times or 35 40 times i've been in the us so i've wow. been in a lot of states i think not hawaii and not alaska but the rest probably is yeah well next time you're coming please uh i would just be thrilled it would be a, such an honor and so amazing to connect with you and do some uh some diving uh some exploration of some of these you know it's i'm the one living in the country and i have no idea where some of these fantastic places are that you've been so it would just be so cool man and such an honor but uh officially you. i officially invite you to go with me to rainbow river to juniper spring to high springs and to really experience this and then we can talk about life about philosophy about aquatic stuff and about the afterlife about the gods about everything <laughs> that that would just that would be amazing man we got to do it for sure but uh well chris man thank you so okay. much it's been a super cool conversation uh went some places i didn't expect it to, which was amazing and awesome. And uh, I just respect and admire your work a great deal, man. And uh, just keep doing everything you do. And I, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Jeff, for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's also a challenge when we talk philosophy. You are a very fast thinker, and I have to follow you in the, in, in the language that I that I know, but I don't. Uh, that's not my mother language. But it's a good challenge for me to learn. Also to, to, and like, you know, I remember some things that we talked years ago. I still have them on my, I have them present, you know, but not only when I hear your name, but also right. in some situations. So it was a, a very, a good meeting when we met back then. It, it had a little effect on my life, but it was a good one. That's awesome, man. That, Thanks I, a lot. I appreciate that, brother. That means, that, that means a lot. Thank you. And uh, look forward to talking again soon, man. And of course, you, you do great work. I, I, you do it. You have your style. And this is something, Jeff, that I always want to tell you. When I see an aquarium and I know that the things go out of the tank in the U.S., probably you did it. So you have your, your own style. And this is something, it's like with a painter that you can recognize. If you see a Mark Rotko or you see a Kandinsky or a Picasso, you know, he did it. You know, and this is something, an achievement that is, uh, that makes you, like coming out of the mess, <laughs> I would say. Right. Thanks a lot Thank for you, having man. me, Jeff. I'm honored. That, man, and, uh, that, I see that means a lot. Thank you. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll talk again. Thanks, Chris. Auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss.